think coming from Detroit, just seeing not that many resources being poured into that community, but at the same time, myself being able to be afforded like different opportunities, I've always wanted to leverage resources for like underserved communities and like take as much money from rich people and give it back to people that look like me. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Okay, guys, welcome back to another awesome episode. Today in the guest chair, we have a certified boss. If you don't already know this woman, this is a name you need to jot down and follow. Her name is Ebony Pope, and she is the director of U.S. Ventures at Village Capital. She oversees Village Capital's work in finding and supporting U.S. startups in the five sectors that receive investment from Vilcap Investments. Ebony graduated with her MBA from the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business in 2015, Go Blue, focusing on strategy and entrepreneurship. While at Ross, she traveled to Tanzania, where she developed and taught a business curriculum for agricultural technology entrepreneurs as an enterprise consultant for Lando Lakes. Additionally, she was the Education Circle Director for the Ross Social Venture Fund. Prior to Ross, Ebony worked at New Urban Learning, a charter education management company focused on preparing Detroit students to successfully graduate from four-year colleges and universities. She's also a former Googler and holds a BBA in finance from Howard University. Welcome to the guest chair, Ebony. Thank you, Nikayla. That was such a great intro. That's because you're the bomb. <laughs> and, you know, fun fact, Emmy and I were at Ross at the same time. We were part of the non-traditional crew forging our own path. And so, yes. Ebony, can you describe more about what Village Capital is and your role in your own words? Sure. So Village Capital, we're an early stage venture capital fund. We invest in critical issues. So think education, healthcare, agriculture, energy, and financial technology. And I oversee all of our U.S. work. So we have investment programs. What makes our company really unique is that the entrepreneurs make the final decision of who gets an investment from Village Capital. We're really trying to focus on democratizing entrepreneurship and putting the investment decision in the hands of the entrepreneur. So it kind of eliminates all of the bias that traditionally goes on in that decision. In order to do so, we take entrepreneurs through three four-day workshops in our different sectors. And so I manage our different sector managers and help them to put on those programs for entrepreneurs, as well as every everything else we do in the U.S. Well, so what does that mean? You democratize it and the entrepreneurs decide. Is there a vote at the end of the program and they decide who gets funding? Yeah. So during the workshops, we teach the entrepreneurs how to think like investors. So we let them know like how we evaluate companies and they do so amongst each other. Since they're all in the same sector and solving a particular problem, they actually are able to catch blind spots that we as investors don't see because they work in that industry every day. And so they rank each other at the end of each workshop. And at the end, the top two ranked companies get a seed investment from our affiliate fund, Bill Cap Investments, 
that is usually seventy-five to one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Wow, that's awesome! And is Village Capital is it nationwide or is it just based in DC? We are global. We're one of the most active global early stage investors. We have offices in Mexico City, in Nairobi, in India. We have an office in San Francisco, and our largest office is here in D.C. Okay, cool. Now, walk us through your career path, though, because this is about you. And I want to know, why did you make the decisions you made? Was there a method to it all? There wasn't a method as far as, like, when I was younger, I knew exactly every step that I was going to take. I'm very spiritual, so all of my decisions were really just kind of doors opened up, and I prayed about it and walked through them. So... From an early age, I always wanted to go into philanthropy, which I know is kind of random to be thinking about as early as high school, mm-hmm. but my brother got a scholarship from the Coca-Cola Foundation. At the time, it was run by Ingrid Saunders-Jones, who is a Detroit native. I'm from Detroit, and she went to my high school. And he was like, well, you should look into this career path. It is like giving away other people's money. You go to all these fancy events and just helping <laughs> people out. And I think just coming from Detroit, just seeing not that many resources being poured into that community, but at the same time, myself being able to be afforded like different opportunities, I've always wanted to leverage resources for like underserved communities and like take as much money from rich people and give it back <laughs> to people that look like me. Love and so it. set out to do a career in philanthropy I interned at Teach for America undergrad through a program called Sponsors for Educational Opportunity, SEO, their philanthropy program, and planned on going to the core after college just because I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was like, well, this will get me on the nonprofit track. And then I got a job, like fell into a job at Google. I told y'all this wasn't planned. I fell into a job at Google. <laughs> okay, how, how do you fall into a job at Google? Break that down. <laughs> Sure. So one of my really good friends, she interned at Google and she was like, they came on campus and she was like, Ebony, I want you to come to dinner. Like Google's coming on campus today. I want you to come to dinner with us. And I was like, where are y'all going to dinner? (laughs) (laughs) And they were going to my favorite restaurant. So I was like, yes, I'll be there because in undergrad, you're just trying to get meals. Right. And so she's like, well, you have to apply to come to dinner. And I'm like, oh, okay. But it was a really easy application. So I applied and I went to dinner and then they flew me out there. I did an interview. At the time, I didn't even know how competitive it was to get into Google. So I think, honestly, had I known like how big a deal it was, I probably would have been too nervous to even get it. Yeah. And then I got a job opportunity there. It wasn't until I started working there and they tell you like, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than working here. I was like, whoa. (laughs) So what were you doing for Google and what happened next? Yeah, so I was working in online sales for Google. The ads that you see on the side of the page, I was an account strategist. I had clients like Airbnb when they were like maybe like a year or two old. Also, the win, I was in the travel vertical. And so I would go inside of their accounts and see like, how their ad placements were doing and their ROI and how we could better optimize that managing those different accounts. That was kind of like my first intro to tech and entrepreneurship at all. Being from Detroit and then going to Howard University, I lived in like a black bubble my whole life. And so (laughs) going to Google was like complete culture shock, but it really helped me to understand. I guess growing up, I always just wanted to leave Detroit and like never look back. But it helped me to understand like how important it is 
there was like no one there that looked like me yeah. to like create opportunities for people that look like me. So kind of kept in touch with Teach for America that reached out to me and told me there was a woman that was vice president of Achievement First, which if you don't know, is a very high performing charter network that's out of New York. She was from Detroit, wanted to start something similar. She was looking for someone to help her found and start it up. And I was like, well, this is great. This will help me get that. I'm trying to get back towards philanthropy of what I really want to do. So I moved to Detroit to do that for two years, helped to open and run charter schools in Detroit. That was like the beginning of like startup experience. I know it wasn't like for profit, but still just like helping to grow a company from like two to like 40 people over two years and like doing a little bit of everything helped me to know strategy and management. And then I went back to business school. Why did you decide to stop this career trajectory for two years to pursue your MBA? Yeah, when I moved back to Detroit, I knew that I was going to go to business school. I was going to do this for two years and I was going to go to business school because this was like, again, like helping me to get like a taste of nonprofit management experience. But I always knew that I wanted to have a much larger impact, be that in the philanthropy space or helping something much larger than just Detroit. One of leverage millions of dollars to help people. <laughs> and my brother, again, he, I follow, basically follow him through life. <laughs> um, but my original plan was to go into philanthropy after business school. I took a career test while at Michigan. Like when you enter, they make you take a career test. And I got 94% for venture capital, 92% for entrepreneurship. All right. And so I'm like, okay. I was like, what is that? What is venture capital? <laughs> I was like, how do I get an internship in entrepreneurship? What am I supposed to do with this? Right, right. <laughs> so wait, how old were you when you started Ross? I was 25. 25, okay. And you touched on how hard it is, even when you go back to business school, it's not a magic wand. Like there is no direct path into, there's steps that you can take, but it's not like here, you do this internship, boom, you have a VC job. Like let's talk about all, all the ways you, you prepared yourself to be competitive in this space, especially when you were coming from a background that didn't directly relate. Yeah. At Michigan, the unique opportunity to to gain that experience and learn more about the industry through that there are three student-run venture capital funds at Michigan. And I managed the education sector for the social venture fund. So all of our education investments because of my back, background in education and technology. Um, and really enjoyed that experience because it married a lot of my passions. Like I'm still giving away other people's money, but in a much more sustainable way because it's creating businesses instead of just giving grants. So that's when I was like, okay, this might really be a thing. But still, while I was going through business school, I'd, I'd probably apply for all kind of random marketing, <laughs> consulting. Um, the internship that I ended up doing, I took an international internship and I went to Tanzania, Land Lakes has an initiative where they are trying to empower women in agriculture. And so there were all these people that had gone through pitch competitions for different farming apparatuses they had created to increase efficiency in their, their farming activities. And they gave each of them like $5,000 and they I, I went out there and like built a business curriculum for them. That was like a really cool experience, but I don't know, again, like there's no path. Yeah. <laughs> like when I found Village Capital, it's not only venture capital, but it's also somewhat like an accelerator program. So 
it was directly related to the experience that I got while at Michigan. But was that anything other than just like divine intervention and God setting up like where I should go <laughs> to fall into that opportunity? Yeah, I wouldn't attribute it to anything but that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At the same time, you know, Ebony, you have to give yourself some credit in that business school is the ultimate like FOMO experience where you want to dabble in everything. Everything looks yeah. sexy. Consulting looks sexy. Marketing, brand management camps are sexy. But you always stayed aligned to what your interests were. There's some people who don't do that, especially when they see how hard going after entrepreneurship and VC is. But, you know, even like doing the Tanzania internship, you were one of the few people I knew who did a global internship and didn't just default to something in the States. So yes, divine intervention, I completely, <laughs> I also, you know, I'm a firm believer in prayer, but also <laughs> kudos to you for sticking to that path. So let's talk about the transition from Ross to Village Capital. Now, how were you able to get into Venture Post Business School? You said it was random. Was it like a friend of a friend told you about the opportunity? How did it happen? Yeah, so again, like, as you know, Nikayla, like as non-traditional students, like usually for business school, you kind of get set up like either from your internship you get an offer. That wasn't an option for me because it was out in Tanzania. I low-key thought about moving to Tanzania. My mom was not for that. <laughs> and so if you don't get an internship offer, then they have interviews in the fall. But for non-traditional students, if you're not going into a path like marketing or consulting or finance or HR, then you kind of have to just grind it out and find things yourselves. And it's more in-time hiring. So when I left Ross, I didn't have a job opportunity and what I did to stay focused is I created like a mission statement for myself. Like if jobs don't fit within these parameters of this mission statement, then I don't need to apply for it. Because I know I love like, that. <laughs> yeah, we never cool. talked about that. I did not know about this mission <laughs> statement. You did not tell me about this. <laughs> but I, continue, I created continue. this after school. So basically what I said earlier, like, leveraging resources for underserved communities. For me, like that could be social impact consulting. That could be, that could be venture capital, depending on the sectors that you're investing in. That could be philanthropy. That could be, you know, so if it wasn't inside of doing that, I stopped applying for things because it takes a lot of energy just to apply for random stuff. So I tried to be really focused. And someone actually sent me through, our, through the Ross Network. Someone sent me the opportunity about Village Capital and I applied. And I know, like, I have never, like, started up a business or anything, but when I first started Village Capital, I considered it, I was basically getting paid side hustle money. That was a thing on side hustle. <laughs> Talk <laughs> but, about it. But I say all that to say, like, I knew the skills that I wanted to build and, like, the industry that I wanted to be in. I'm not trying to sugarcoat this and just say, like, going into venture capital after business school, it's just all, like, roses and easy. You have to understand like what you're willing to sacrifice right. to do whatever you want to do. If that's being an entrepreneur, if that's getting into a field that you might have to start at a lower level than you planned on to get that experience and then prove yourself. Um, that was kind of the risk that I was willing to take to, to get the experience I needed. Yeah. And I like that you touch on the salary piece. So the salary piece is another big FOMO experience where you might want to do something that's a little bit more unique, but then you hear about these checks that people are getting and the signing bonuses, and you want that too. But sometimes if you want to work for a startup so you can get that credibility to work for a VC firm, they're not signing you with that MBA salary. And so these are sacrifices you have to make. 
Yeah, for sure. It's risk and reward. Hey guys, it's Nikayla with a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. Now, let's break venture capital down a bit more. But first, what are some of the common misconceptions about venture capital, about what it is, what it is not? I think people just, a lot of people don't necessarily understand it. Again, I didn't know what venture capital was going into business school. So this is like, you know, something that was very new to me. But I think a lot of people see, okay, I have a startup idea. All right, venture capital people will just pour millions of dollars into the startup idea that I have, or, you know, like I have a feeling about something. And it's not really that. It's like you have built out a business that is successful at one level and an angel investor or an institutional investor says, this has the ability to scale over the next five to 10 years to reach beyond your region that you're in, maybe even beyond that country to have a global scale. And I think that I can get 10 times returns if I can just help to give them some money to get them to that next level. But it definitely is like building the business first and when it has legs, then going to investors and trying to get money and not just, I want to start a business, let me go to investors because investors, it's not philanthropy. Mm -hmm. This is their money. They want it back. They want to see that you've put money in your business and have built it up and other people care and are paying you for whatever it is before they want to take the risk on giving you money. And what's the difference between, you mentioned institutional investor, angel investor. So what's the difference between venture capital and angel investment? Sure. So angel investors are individual investors and they are high net worth individuals who make over $200,000 for the last three years or have a million dollars in assets that's outside of your house. And they want to invest individually their money into companies because venture is very high risk. So they want to make sure like there's all, you know, the government and wants to make sure that you have the money to kind of play around with to be able to do so. Angel investors don't necessarily have to have any training or anything like that to be an angel investor. It's just like, I have a lot of money and I want to be able to invest into companies. And so there's a very wide spectrum for angel investors. Maybe you know an angel investor who has seen your work previously and they will give you an investment just on idea. Maybe. <laughs> what, what you more traditionally see are angel investors that 
invest through angel groups mm. in their areas where there will be like one to three people that do know what they're doing that go out and find the deals and source them. And then they'll have entrepreneurs come in like once a month, they'll all have a dinner and you'll come like present your idea or well, not your idea, excuse me, your business that you're building and yes. making money on. <laughs> and they'll kind of pull together funds which could probably be as little as like twenty to thirty thirty thousand dollars, can sometimes be as large as like two hundred to three hundred k, and invest in your company. So angel investors, they do it individually. They still take angel investors. Still, a lot of them do equity into your company. It's very important upfront not to give away too much equity in your company. And so I don't want to get too deep into it because it's going to get complicated. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> right, 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 right. But that's angel investors. And what's the difference between that and venture? So venture is like a pooled fund of money. So there are limited partners. So this is will be like a lot of rich people will come together. For example, for Village Capital, rich people and like institutions or foundations or things of that sort. So Village Capital, our first fund, it is $18 million fund. We have 29 limited partners, which include Steve Case, who founded AOL. He's like one of our biggest limited partners who put up a few million dollars. Um, Mitch and Frida Kapoor of Kapoor Capital are also invested in Village Capital, as well as some other high net worth individuals. USAID is actually a part of Village Capital, which is really interesting and something they don't, they don't traditionally do. They cover the management fees for Village Capital. So they're not like in the fund. But basically, a bunch of limited partners will pool their funds and then they hire a team to manage those funds and the investments that they make. So Village Capital um, manage, manages the fund, that $18 million pooled funds from those limited partners. Um, but they still come together for you know, to see like how we, we give them updates on like how the portfolio is doing. They still have an expected return that they plan on receiving at the end of the life of the fund, which is usually about 10 years. So yeah, that okay. is the difference. And now what kind of funding options should founders consider? And should the funding you explore depend on what your ultimate plans for scaling are? Yes. So Founders first need to understand like what kind of business they are building as they're thinking about exploring options. And sometimes you don't know, like sometimes it evolves. You thought that you were building something that was just going to be for your city and it, it seems like it can be much bigger. So if you're looking to go for venture capital funding, you're looking to build a business that is going to scale globally or like to millions of users in the next five to 10 years, and then you are going to sell it. You don't plan on building it and passing it down to your children or things of that sort. For investors, they are looking for an exit. So they are looking for you to sell your business or they're looking, I guess, IPO, which is very rare, but that is another way that they can receive their return on investment. That's the kind of business that you're looking to build if you're thinking about venture capital. If you're thinking about, I mean, other types of funding, like you could, I guess, loans or just building it, your business. And as you get profits, like pouring it back into your business, that's a way to go too. You don't have to worry about people taking equity in your business. Because once people take equity, 
they start to control part of your business as well. They help to influence the decisions you make on how you're going to scale or who you're going to hire or what regions you're going to go to. So if you want like complete control of your business, I think the best way to do it is to just build it. Build my it. suggestion. Build it. Let's talk about this building it. If you build it, they will come. Common misconception <laughs> though. Now, what makes a founder's business attractive to you at Village Capital? Well, first of all, they need to be within, for our investment thesis, they need to be in one of those five sectors that I mentioned earlier, education, healthcare, agriculture, energy, or financial technology. If it's outside of that, I personally cannot help you. <laughs> also, the way that we invest are through these certain programs that we run. So we don't just do like one-off investments in the companies. You have to go through the programs, the top two ranked companies get investments. We are looking for market sizes that are bigger than a billion dollars. And it's not just like, oh, okay, I'm building an education business. I looked up online, the market size for a K-12 education business is $50 billion. So boom, now I can get some money from you. What investors are also looking at is like, do you have the capability to sell into that market and get a percentage of that market share? So do you have any experience selling into that business? Do you, have you ever sold to K-12 institutions? Some, has someone in your network ever done that? Do you have just the proof of traction through the product that you're selling right now? What makes you the person to be able to capture mm. even just 500 million of that? Yeah. So how else can founders get prepared to pitch investors? In addition to, you know, completing Village Capital's programs, are there other tools, accelerator programs, things that people can start doing now? So when they're faced with those questions, it's not like, oh, crap, I didn't even think about that. Sure. Yeah, there are tons of early like accelerators or like I would say like pitch events in your cities that you can go to. Techstars, they do startup boot camps and things of that sort. There's Camelback Ventures which is for black and brown founders. They're trying to replace the family and friends round. If you're not familiar, like if you're thinking about growing a VC-backed business, in the beginning, a lot of that is bootstrapped. And so what that means by bootstrapped is you put your own money into it or people in your network give you like $10,000 or $30,000, something that a lot of Black and brown founders like, we don't have that in our network. I can't just call my aunt and ask for $10,000. <laughs> like, we don't have that. Because again, like investors are looking for you to already have something, already have a business that's making money, but it takes money to be able to get that. Right. And so there are a lot of ways to be creative of going to pitch competitions or things like Camelback Ventures. Another good one for female founders, Pipeline Angels which is a network, a national network of women angel investors that invest in women that are starting businesses. Kiva is also good. They offer like loans that can be up to like $10,000, zero interest on them for startups. So those are just like some resources that I would say looking into as you're trying to get off the ground. Yeah. What do you think about Kickstarter and things like that? I think Kickstarter, there's all sorts of like crowdfunding. And now like there are laws. I know at the beginning of this call, I was talking about angel investors and how you have to have like 
a certain amount of money to be a traditional angel investor. There's now laws that allow people to be able to crowdfund into businesses without having to be an angel investor. So there's a lot of interesting ways. I mean, I think if you're able to raise the funds on Kickstarter, then yeah, why not? Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. So now I received some real questions from founders that I thought Ebony would be way more qualified to answer. Well, the second one, actually, I thought we could answer together. But yeah, some of you guys reach out to me and I'm like, oh, I never did that. (laughs) Okay. So the first question is, this summer, I'm exploring the entrepreneurial side of me. I never knew existed. I'm starting two ventures where I'm stuck. Funding. I have no assets, which means banks are less willing to loan out to me. So I'm trying to raise angel investing instead. I would appreciate any feedback or advice you have in looking for funding and building out networks with different types of funders. What would you say to this person? Yeah. So I would say that as you look for different types of funding, like, especially if you're in Missouri, like there are investors that focus specifically on the Midwest. There's an investor out of Ohio called, I believe it's Rev One Ventures. So that's one that you should look into. And I would say maybe even like, well, figuring out like what the startup network looks like in Missouri, but maybe going to like nearby cities, like making a drive down to Chicago and seeing like where there are a lot more resources like 1871 and other things where you can think about raising money. Because it's it's harder when you're in smaller cities if there isn't like a startup network there. So I would try to explore like what is in your city and if not like trying to go to nearby cities to find something. You know, something you said earlier about raising angel investing. So this person hasn't started it yet, so they can't raise angel investing. Yeah, Yeah, they just need to look for programs that will help them start up, get on their feet, support early, early stage startups. Yeah. If you haven't like started anything yet, then again, like I said, like that Kiva loan, that's like $10,000, zero interest might be a good starter. Angel investors want to see that you've already, you know, started to build something. So if you know who this person is and you can share me their information afterwards, as I look up other funders who are interested in the Midwest, because there's more than Rev One, Uh happy to share. I know there's like the Case Foundation. They also do Rise of the the Rest. Um, I don't know if they've come to Missouri. Right. I will. I will (laughs) definitely share with you. Okay. So here's another one. And this is the one we can answer together, but curious to know your thoughts, especially as someone who, you know, is working with a lot of entrepreneurs. Okay. So do you recommend an Ivy MBA to someone who has earned 500K or more as a business owner? Is it worthwhile to pursue if you have found your footing as an entrepreneur? This entrepreneur has already earned 500K. My advice would be keep going. Like, why do you need to go and get an MBA? Like for me, I, so undergrad, I was finance. So I already took all the classes for the most part that I took in business school, but I needed to go to business school to be able to break into those networks. So interventure or whatever my next career path was going to be. But I wouldn't suggest like making the investment because if you pay for your MBA plus living expenses, it's going to be more than 100K, more than $150,000 to do that. Just hire somebody that has an MBA (laughs) if you're already (laughs) making the money. (laughs) Right, right. And so, you know, for me, I didn't want to answer this by myself because um, 
obviously I love my Ross experience, my Michigan experience, and I would never want anyone to take away from that, like, oh, blanket statement. Nikayla says it wasn't worth it or don't get your MBA. But what I want people to understand is like an MBA is not a stamp that just provides everything that you've been wishing for. So for someone who's already on the path, people go get their MBA to be on the path that you're on. So you would be stopping that path because you really cannot run a business full-time and get your MBA full-time. And it's just not the same experience part-time, like no shade. So you would be stopping your momentum to go and get this degree. And it really has to be for a reason. Like Ebony said, like, what is it that you don't have now? And are you sure the MBA is going to give you that? So I would talk to people who are where you want to be, people who have their MBA and who don't, and make sure you understand if you need it to get to that place that you want to be. Don't go back unless you can talk to someone who is where you want to be. And, you know, that's what I did. And, and that's what Ebony was able to, to kind of, you know, through talking to her brother, to, through seeing that path and that vision of where she wanted to be in five, 10 years and understanding how an MBA fits into it. Yeah. I just want to add that an MBA does not teach you how to be an entrepreneur for sure. Like you already got that, especially if you're making the money, like build the team. Um, yep. But yeah, if you want to, in general, if you want to get an MBA, understand how much of an investment it is and really understand the reason that you're trying to go besides like I hit a rut in my career and I think getting an MBA will give me a, a credential that I need to validate myself. Exactly. And then the final question. So this is actually my question and you've already answered it a lot, but it's one that a lot of side hustlers slash entrepreneurs face, which is, you know, what do you do if you have a really great idea? idea, you know what you want to build. Like, I know what I want to build and what the next stage of Side Hustle Pro looks like, but I also need money to do it. And I, I'm kind of in that phase where I'm just, my mind is running in circles because I'm not sure what step I want to take first. But you already kind of hinted at the answer, which is keep going, keep making money and prove the point out. Is there anything else you would say? Yeah, I would just say, like, continue to research. Like, a lot of what I do as an investor is, like, for the markets that I invest in, I'm looking for similar companies that have been successful. So I talked to you a little bit about this offline, Kayla, but for you, with Side Hustle Pro being in the media industry, I would look at comparable businesses that have raised money, like Blavity, and see, like, who are investors in her business you know, to understand, like, how can you take similar steps to get to where she has gotten, potentially? Or, like, XO Nicole, just figure out, like, what are some comparables in the space that are a few steps ahead of you, and how did they make it to where they're at? Or what are some resources that they used? Because that's what I suggest to entrepreneurs as they're trying to think about, like, I'm thinking about institutional investing, and, like, how do I raise, like, it's good to be able to point out to investors, like, this is a similar business opportunity. This is how successful it was. This is how I'm going to do something that's different, but it's very aligned with, you know, your interests. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're so right. I am going to do some more research on, I never thought to look up who their investors were. I know Will Packer for Exxon and Cole, but Blavity, I will dig more into that. Yeah. Right. And for other oh. businesses, the way that you can do that, go on crunchbase.com put in whatever business that you're thinking about. Hopefully it's in there if they've raised institutional funding and they will list like for each of the rounds, like who are the investors for those rounds? Ooh, good tip. Okay, so now we're going to transition into the lightning round. You basically just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? 
Oh, no, I'm not. But let's go. <laughs> oh, guys, we laugh a lot. We're friends. We're, we're good friends. Y'all. We're good friends. Okay. <laughs> Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your career path that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Oh, that's a good question. And I'm kind of going to flip this one and plug something I should have plugged way earlier. This isn't a resource that I've used, but it's something that I have created within my organization to help diverse founders. It is called VC Pathways. It is a program that is basically for black and brown founders that are trying to figure out, like, I'm thinking about raising VC money. I have like a prototype of what I'm building. Maybe I'm not post-revenue yet but I'm exploring different funding paths and we're in different cities. We're in DC, Chicago, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. Potential to expand over the next year, but basically it's helping you to learn about venture capital and what are the different milestones that you need to reach if you're growing this type of business, as well as connecting you with investors in your different cities. So I'm in the process of trying to raise more money so I can continue this program. Um, This year, we had support from UBS as well as the Rockefeller Foundation. So I'm hoping to continue this in major cities uh, so that more women and just more black and brown founders know what it looks like to raise money as a VC-backed business and like how you can pitch yourselves attractively to investors. Awesome. I like that. Okay. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? That's a good question. So this, these, I didn't necessarily consume this year, but I think are, I guess, relevant or helpful for people that are thinking about venture capital or just like starting a business. The Lean Startup is a really good book, as well as Venture Deals. If you're thinking about raising money at all, it is not just an easy breezy read, but it's good to help you understand like exactly what you're going into if you're starting to talk to angel investors or institutional investors and thinking about giving up equity in your company, like what that looks like, read venture deals. Now, who is a Black woman entrepreneur that you would want to trade places with for a day and why? Oh, that's a good question. I would say Jessica Matthews from Uncharted Play. And I say that because she has built a business in like one of the sectors that I invest in and like great experience for an investor is if you've actually been a founder. <laughs> so I'd love to trade places with the founder of a successful company so that it would help me as I give advice to the founders that I work with as they're growing businesses to be able to, you know, walk in their shoes. Number four, what is a personal habit that has contributed to your success? Hmm, that's a good question. I think a personal habit is just making sure like whatever your business goals are or like whatever market that you're in, making sure that you're reading the right materials, like you're staying up to date with the whatever the digests or lists or websites or people that you should be following, that you're doing it as well as just keeping up with your network of people that you know, like the job that you're thinking about two, three years down the line making sure that you might not be interested in in doing that right now, but keeping your networks warm and not just reaching out to people when you need them, but making sure that you're, you're staying around that. And then just keeping great people in your circle, like Nikayla and other people that inspire you. (laughs) Yes. As you can see, Ebony is my guru for all things. 
business, raising, all of that. So, okay. Last question, number five. What is your parting advice for women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss and raise money, but are scared of rejection? Get over that. Get over the fear of rejection. And I think just breaking things down into manageable parts. And so like every day, like do something that's helping you build toward your business. I think just as women, like we feel like we need to be 110% prepared to do something before we make the leap. And you got to just push yourself to do it. And maybe that is like finding other women or other entrepreneurs that are like around the same stages and like having someone keeping you accountable to making those daily steps. Like I can even talk about Michaela and building outside Hustle Pro, like watching her build this and like in the beginning, like not knowing where to start, but just doing it. One podcast at a time. Yes. Like, look at look at you now. One episode <laughs> at a time. Just keep going. And it's funny because I have to go back to that mindset and remind myself, like, look, you didn't know what you were doing when you started to give myself the courage to go after this next phase that yeah. I'm Nobody in. Nobody knows what they're doing. Okay? <laughs> I mean, you know what you're doing, like, as you yeah. build more skills. But, like, as far as the next thing you want to do, you don't know what that looks like till you do it. You right. Know, you do it. I needed this. Okay, Ebony. <laughs> so where can people connect with you after this show? So you can find me on Twitter. I'm really bad at Twitter, but sometimes once a month I'll post something. <laughs> it's at Pope, not Olivia. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Ebony Pope. I'm at Village Capital. I write a lot on Medium too. Okay. Um, so you can look me up on Medium as right. well. And I will link to all of this, you guys. So Ebony, thank you so, so much for being in the guest chair. Of course, Michaela. Thank you for having me. I'm like, wow, I've made it. I'm a pro. <laughs> yes, it was a pleasure. And guys, there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.